Okay, welcome back then to Fast Trip Performance. My name's Tim Davies, and today we've got one of our warrior clan who is in trouble. So I'm here to help him out, and it's an email that's come in through the uh, the bat box. Here we go. So I'm going to read you the email. Uh, it's a guy, really, and it's an interesting one. I think it, I think it affects quite a lot of people, especially as they come out of the late teens, early 20s. It's about having to let something go, something that you really spent a lot of time thinking was going to happen or you've invested time in. And now you've got the reality staring you straight in the face that this is just not going to work out for you. So this is the problem that this guy's got. Um, we'll call him D. I don't want to mention his name, but that's only because I haven't asked if I can use his name. I'm, he's pretty happy, I think. But we'll call him D. doesn't matter. Um, now, the guy, he's flying anyway, but it's about the fact he always wanted to be a pilot in the Royal Air Force, and this is not going to happen for him, and it's through no fault of his own. But I'm going to read you the email, and then we'll just chat it out, guys, okay? Remember, this is on YouTube, and this is also in a podcast. Um, my kid brother's flying for Emirates at the moment. He says some of the pilots out there listen to my podcast in the car on the way to work. So uh, thank you, guys, if you are out there listening to this. I really appreciate the support, or not the support I get. I'm sure I do get a lot of support from you guys. Right, look after my kid brother anyway, Okay. Uh, holler at me if um, you need to. Right, I should be out there later this year as well in Dubai, so if any of you guys knocking about, it'd be pretty great to uh, meet up. Right, this is an email from D. It says, suffering with not meeting own expectations. Right, hi there, Tim. Hope you're well, and civilian life is treating you kindly. You're a busy man, so I wasn't sure whether or not to bother you, but I think this one might be beneficial to some people. So I thought I'd just drop it anyway, and you get around to it if you agreed. As you may recall from a while back, a very mild glasses prescription scuffed my chances of being an RAF pilot very, very soon before I was ready to apply out of school. So sort of not thinking about the disappointment, I started civilian pilot training. I enjoyed it from day one and still do to this day, which I'd like to make clear because it adds to my confusion. Having got my PPL in January and having a 10-month gap, just keeping my hours up in order to sort out funds, I've become a progressive, I've come to a progressive realisation. I'm far more disappointed than I thought I was about the fact that I won't be a pilot in the Royal Air Force. It's something I think about multiple times per day now. It's even crossed my mind as I was showing my brother the Welsh mountains from a thousand feet above, a time when my mind should have been focused on how privileged I am to be able to do so. Picture attached for context. So the guy's flying on a peep anyway, he's showing his brother some mountains of um, South Wales. Consciously, I look forward to training and improving myself and further into the future, I look forward to the career which likely lies ahead of me. But this is increasingly overshadowed by a sort of disappointment in myself that I won't be an RF pilot. It isn't that I blame myself for it, it's just a background feeling that I have. Under normal circumstances, I'd do what I was doing before, enjoy what I'm doing and come to terms with it subconsciously over time. But now it's actually impacting my day-to-day -day effectiveness and that's something I hadn't planned for and don't understand. I feel bad because unlike many people, I'm able to replace it with civilian training. That's one thing, that's one of the things that comforted me, so to speak, or distracted me, probably a, is a better term. But I've recently found that my interest and enthusiasm has decreased. Not that I think it'll affect safety, but I do think it'll affect productivity. With my aim to be the best pilot I possibly can, that worries me. Using your sentiments that you've used for a while about passion versus purpose, I don't really know or understand my purpose. While that's normal for a 19-year-old, it adds to my worry that I may be pursuing something that is nearer a passion. Last paragraph, guys. I feel unhelpful emailing you with this without any more of the above, but I think that's the best, uh, that's best to describe my situation. I feel slightly lost on the one hand. I'm doing something I wholeheartedly enjoy on a path to something I enjoy. But on the other hand, I feel consistently that something is missing, a sort of reverse imposter syndrome, fear of missing out on a grand scale. 
Uh, he ends with, I know that through this, those situations will likely be different. There'll be other people feeling the same. I thought I'd drop you this in case you thought it would be of use to others. D, thank you. Absolutely right. So we've all heard what this guy has to, says, uh, this guy has to say. And of course, I can help him here. Dr. FJP to the rescue, okay? You can hear the sirens in a distance. I'm about to drop some truth bombs on this hombre. Right, I like this guy. Why do I like him? As we've spoken about before, he's not sitting there feeling sorry for himself. He's out there doing something constructive and he's reached out and said, you know what? This is on my mind at the moment and I need some way of trying to get some resolution. Let's start from the beginning then, shall we? Because let's think about who D is. He's a 19-year-old, uh, well, he's a, he's a teenager. He's, he's a 19-year-old, so... He hasn't reached his mid-20s yet. He's a man. Guys, we've spoken about this before. What's happening with his prefrontal cortex, his limbic system, okay? That's not, they're not fully developed. This is a guy you can send to war, okay? And a woman that age, you probably can't. Well, you can, but women think about this stuff. Um, their limbic systems and their prefrontal cortex, cortex develop faster than men. Uh, so he's still got a lot of emotion that he is unable to probably control in the same way that someone in the mid-20s would. Now, I wrote an essay about passion versus purpose before. Um, limbic system, all those kind of things uh, deal with consequence. And so this guy probably doesn't fully understand consequence as such. And that's absolutely fine. A lot of the young pilots I flew with were the same. And I know this, really, because when he talks about um, passion versus purpose and he talks about living a passion, I know he gets it. He's getting it. It's beginning to understand what that really means. And I love the fact that he put it in there. Now, I would refer him back to an essay I wrote a while back. It's also on a podcast, guys. It's called The Passionless Pilot. Why the advice to follow your passion is inherently flawed. The reason I'm sending him back to that podcast was because there's some data in it that I think he needs to see by, uh, from a guy called Cal Newport, who's a professor in a university in the States who's written a book on, um, on passion. Now, I'm trying to find it on the essay at the moment. If you're on the podcast, um, I'll see whether I can drop a link uh, in the podcast on the narrative and if you're watching on YouTube I'll try and stick some of this essay or something in so you can see what I'm talking about what Cal Newport says about this and he's a guy like my age or whatever I'm um, just obviously far more intelligent than I am and uh, he he said the passion trap the more emphasis you place on finding work you love the more unhappy you become when you don't love every minute of the work you have now the reason I'm saying that is because these generation the generation 19 year olds you know anything really up to 30 probably uh, were told, of course, that um, they could do anything. And it was an um, unfortunate thing that their parents had told them because it's not true, as Dee's finding out now. Um, he has to wear glasses, and so the Royal Air Force have to have cutoffs. And so if you wear glasses or you've had asthma since the age of five or anything like that, they just don't need you to apply. Um, it's nothing personal. It's like you've got a bunch of guys out there who haven't had these issues, and so why shift through you? Um, I've got an email recently from a guy who's uh, got asthma. He's desperate to get into a fast jet, so he's trying to cure it himself. I love what he's trying to do with science. Um, but the truth is, until the Air Force changed their policy, until AP 1269 Alpha, which is the medical um, document, changes, and that, that is coming in, people are doing work on this, um, this guy's not going to be able to fly airplanes. And at the moment, if you have, uh, I think you can have corrective surgery if it's the correct one, but you need to check what that is. What Dee's saying is that what he has to, what his, his eyesight is not good enough to get him into the Royal Air Force. And that is because it's, everyone has to join uh, when you get in, guys. Everyone uh, to fly has to be... Um, able to fly you know, military fast jets because uh, we don't stream pre-entry. There's a reason we don't stream pre-entry uh, because you might need you to fly anything. You know, that's the thing. I'm not even in the Air Force anymore, but I'm just telling you like it is, okay? And unfortunately, I am going to have to drop some truth bombs, guys, because that's who we are in FJP. We don't mess around wasting time pretending we're going to be able to do things that we're not, okay? We just come up, hit reality in the face, and we just get stuff done, all right? That's the thing. We don't wait around. So, when I used to pitch into fights at around seven or eight miles, um, probably a bit less than that, actually, six, seven miles, 
you just have to follow that very small hawk all the way into the merge. And I've spoken about this before, I've written an essay about it, I believe. If you lose sight, you're in a very, very bad place. So any kind of eye problem, any kind of eye problem at all, um, the Air Force are going to go, no, don't worry about it. Go and find another job, okay? Because I might need you to fly fast jets. I might need you to point at hostile aircraft that ranges out from 20 miles, 10 miles coming in, and I need you not to fly into them. And there's other guys that don't have those eye problems. So I'm just going to go and pick one of those other guys. Nothing personal, guys, but a T. But um, let's talk about passion. Right, um, yeah. So, and there's a bit, I'm not going to go over the whole essay again. I would suggest, I would suggest you have a read of it. Um, D, and I would suggest people that are thinking, I'm not passionate about my job. I did a lot of research into this essay, and um, unfortunately, again, it's quite hard hitting. I was flying with a young guy, uh, and he wasn't taking shots in air combat, and eventually, you know, he turned around to me and said, well, in the debrief, I'm just not passionate about this. And I said, mate, good, I'm not either. I haven't been for the last decade, probably a bit more than that, to be honest with you, but um, it, passion is fleeting, it's fast burning, it's a flare, isn't it? It's a flare you light at a football match, it burns really fast and bright, and, and then it goes out. Um, it's an affair, isn't it? It's, it's finding attraction in someone else very briefly. Passion is, is if you, see, we're, t we're starting to trend into an artistry now. So if you're passionate over a very long period of time, then you tend to become an artist of some sort. Most of us aren't artists and we can't have those levels of passion that continue. And you will find with musicians, for example, um, they'll branch out into other things, won't they? So acting or maybe, or art, or, you know, you can see people doing this because the passion for acting was a, was a great passion, but yeah, it's a passion. It's kind of burning out. So they go, well, you know what? I'm going to do some art. I think Jim Carrey does this, doesn't he? Um, or they're going to go, well, I'm going to do some musicals. I'm going to do a bit of stage work so, to keep that kind of flame burning because they're very intense people. Now, I don't need intense people in the cockpit. Um, I need solid people who are going to get in there and perform day after day with the same subroutines that their hardware is running in effect. Um, and so we don't look for passion in people. We look for purpose. They're very, very different things. A purpose is what gets you out of bed in the morning and makes you go out and do something, okay? Because you can see a goal at the end of it. Uh, you can go and do that. Now, when I left the Air Force, I, I didn't. my purpose wasn't to train students anymore. I was, I was finding that I was struggling. Um, I didn't want to go and do three-hour plans for similar attack profiles. I'd done loads of those on the Tornado GR4. So whenever I saw myself down for an air to ground trip, I was like, oh, kill me now. Um, air combat was repetitive because it was the same setups. So I'd just been on the jet for too long on the Hawk T2, uh, which is why you have a three-year tour. I think I'd been there six years at that point. I was working part-time. In fact, I asked to go part-time in, I asked to go full-time in Bristol um, and in the, in the requirement space. And in the end, they uh, they said, well, you can kind of do it part-time if you can carry on flying, help us out. But I just wanted a change. In fact, I asked to go to Afghanistan in 2011 to get a change. And I spent six months out there with the US Army. It was fantastic. So what I'm saying is don't expect you're going to be doing one of these jobs. It's going to be awesome. So let's go back to the email because there was a line in that I really want to cover. Um, sorry to look away to the other screen, guys. I've got multiple screens up here. So one of the lines D says in here is, um, uh, it's about here. I've come to the progressive realization. I'm far more disappointed than I thought about the fact that I won't be a pilot in the Royal Air Force. Now, here's the thing. Um, he doesn't actually know what it's like to be a pilot in the Royal Air Force. I'm not having a go at D. Oh, don't. I'm not having a go. I'm just being honest. And he doesn't know, all right? You might have seen it on TV. You've listened to what I've said. You've read all the articles. You've watched my YouTube videos. Um, until you are a pilot in the Royal Air Force, you, you don't know what it's like to be a pilot in the Royal Air Force. It's, it's a fact, guys. You know that. I'm not having a go. Um, there's some things about being a pilot in the Royal Air Force that aren't actually very good, which is why people leave, like me, is a balance. Sometimes you get to the point where you're like, you know what, I don't want to do this anymore. I met a guy this morning, I run a rowing club. I'm a chairman of um, a very big rowing club somehow. I don't know how that worked out. And there was a guy down at the rowing club this morning. He, um, 
he he works part time. He does one day a week uh, with air traffic control, and uh, I won't tell you where it is. It's, it's not fair, but he's a really nice guy. And um, so he left about ten years ago. He comes back into the reserve, and I said, "Would you not go back in full time?" He was like, "No, I'm just not. It's uh, it's not my purpose anymore. I'm outside. I'm doing this other job. It's brilliant. I love the other job, but I'm still trying to contribute back into the Royal Air Force if I can." He does talk about the state of the Royal Air Force as well, and it doesn't sound too great in the branch that he's in, but however, he is helping out in the best way he can. And of course, they want him to do more time. But what I'm saying is what I'm saying is that you can't maintain a passion for very long. You can maintain a purpose for very long, but I do believe you need variety. And what I wasn't getting from the service was variety. And what a lot of Royal Air Force pilots don't get is variety. Because you can't have someone, and airline pilots know this as well, by the way, you can't have someone who who is in aviation has to be singly focused on a complicated task in effect running subroutines and then you can say oh you can do something else as well and this and that and this we like variety my life now has massive amounts of variety i do a lot of work with fjp schools all that kind of stuff airless is out there as well i'm running the spin recovery program i've got a decision book coming out pretty soon i mean I love it. And I can put my energies in different pieces when I'm not passionate about airless, which actually I am right now because we're, we've got a, a conference in London coming up and it's going to be fantastic. But when I'm not passionate because it's hard and it's difficult, I go, right, I'll keep airless going. Fine. I'll do what I need to do airless. Get in the book now. I want to get purposeful about the book and I want to really get into that. So I burn brightly in different little areas. So passion and purpose you talked about. Now, I'm re-recording re- re- this. I recorded it once a couple of days ago. I listened back and I went, no, there's, there's things I really need to say about being a pilot in the Royal Air Force because I, I don't want this guy to think that he's missing out on a superb career. There are aspects of any career in the Royal Air Force that are excellent. Some of the best times I had, I went and did adventure training twice in my career in the Royal Air Force, both skiing, both in Bavaria, had a great time. Um, and you ski with some very senior officers and, it's, and you ski with some really young people. Uh, absolutely brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. So th- anyone could do that. You haven't got to be a pilot. And in fact, if you are a pilot, the chance of you getting adventure training are less than the other branches uh, because it tends to be that you're needed, you're used. You know, you, you have to be there because there's always a manning crisis happening with them um, in the pilot world. So there are, really, there are real downsides of being a pilot. Now, if you want to hear in the Royal Air Force, if you want to hear more about this, um, I will try and get my kid brother on because he's done both. He's been a pilot in the Royal Air Force on Hercules. He's um, Herc J. A lot of you know my kid brother. Legend that he is. Not as good looking, obviously. And not as tall. So there you go. Older brother. Mm. Younger brother. Not as good. Um, so he was a Herc J mate. And then he was a Herc J captain. And then he left. Well, actually, no, he didn't. He went and flew King Airs. And he was a QFI on King Airs. Um, I don't think he fit into the instructor role as much as, as I did, really. But that's... It's just different. And, and then he, he wanted to get back operational again. And he went to Canada to do that with the J for about five years. And then he's out in Dubai now flying for Emirates, which he loves. Okay. He's having a great time. Triple seven. They seem, seem to be a brilliant company, actually, Emirates, I must admit. Now, people will say, no, they're not. But, you know, he's in that passion thing. He's burning brightly. He's like, I love this. So I'll try and get him on, seeing as he's done both. And he will be able to talk to you about the good and the bad sides of um, flying within the service in the context of now flying in the airline world. I've got another guy I can do, actually, a guy called Andy Neofaitu who runs Flight Deck Wingman. I'll get him on as well, and he can talk to you about that. Um, I'll push some business his way. Hashtag sacrifice that I always do. So that really is um, what I'm trying to get at. So this guy won't be an RF pilot. It's nothing. It's not his fault. But there's a better. There's another world. There's a, even a better world, I think, out there. If he, if he can compartmentalize this, put it to one side, and get out there and do some damage in the real world. The thing is, this is, as, as he said, this is really distracting him. Now, we know that time is a great healer, don't we? 
So over time, and we know this from breakups and relationships and everything else, over time, that pain gets less. You have to think about the amount of people I chopped from flying training over my 10 years. And I never, I, it, was, it was a horrible thing to do. Um, I tried to make it as painless as possible. Uh, the students always saw it coming. And uh, I was matter of fact with them, uh, black and white, this cannot go on. We're going to end this now. And we're going to do every single thing we can for you to get you in an aircraft of your choice in one of the other streams. That is what we're going to do. So, and you know what? A lot of those people were quite tearful. Uh, I understand that because I had chop rides in my time and the emotion was pretty high. But, um, you know, every single one of them, that emotion, I think a lot of it was also wrapped up in, I don't have to do this anymore. You know, I don't have to strap this jet to my back anymore. And, you know, a lot of it is quite, it can be quite, um, quite, quite scary in a way. Uh, apologies for the phone, guys. I've got, as I said, I've got a lot of stuff going on with Aerolist, I have meetings. Um, a lot of it can be quite scary. And when you take a person out of that, and I'm quite pressured as well in the, in the flying training, you know how it is. So a lot of these people have been in five years, or four or five years, but you know, by the time they get to Valley, they're like, again, I've got to do another flying tra training course again. It's like, yeah, yeah, you do. Yeah, that's just how the service works, unfortunately. Um, and it never ends. Uh, never ends in any flying world. There's, there's, there's exams. And this is the thing people don't seem to understand. I know the civilians have this as well. Um, but the guys in civilian flying that have come from the military will agree with me here. You've always got uh, exams. You're only as good as your last flight. Um, you know, you get something wrong, all eyes go on you. You know, you can imagine. Uh, it's just how it is. It's very difficult. Now, also, here's the other thing about being a fast jet pilot in the Royal Air Force. There's less fast jet pilots in the Royal Air Force than there are premiership footballers in the country. So it's not easy to get in, guys. This is why the Air Force doesn't have to take you with poor eyesight. It doesn't have to take you with uh, medical complaints. If, you, if you're buttock to knee length is too great it doesn't have to take you okay it just doesn't have to take anyone it's really hard not only to get in but then it's hard to stay in flying and actually do well it's not easy and I must admit guys I'm not being funny when I say this you know I left the service it's taken me about a year to recalibrate a little bit you know I've had to do things um you know I'm trying to demilitarize myself because the services are really bad it's really bad at doing that is, is unmilitarizing you. Fair enough. I did 20 years, you know, a lot of responsibility is mine. Um, so, I, you know, I'm, I'm spending a year doing, you know, undoing all that stuff. Uh, and when I looked recently at reapplying, a lot of the time I was thinking, do I really want to do that? You know, reserve service when we've had the argument on Facebook already where um, I've said, okay, let's do some reserve service. If I can, I can give you 60%. Service came back and said I need 90. I can't do it. I just can't do it. And also, whilst I was thinking about that, I was thinking, do I really want to do that anymore at the age of 45? I know guys on the squadron, they've got kids in local schools. It kind of suits them and they're my age. But again, it's a routine now for them. Flying training always is. And there's that balance. You, you want the excitement of the front line, but to go back to the front line, you're away from the house for you know six months of the year on courses and, and in theatre. And then you go into flying training and now you're just at home the whole time and marriage is, again, you know, it's quite difficult. So... It's not a great life, if that makes sense. But here's the other thing I really want to talk about. You know, I'm never going to be an astronaut, right? I'm not. I'm never going to be a world-famous musician. Um, I'm never going to be um, a Royal Marines officer, which I always wanted to be, in fact. I'm never going to be a world-class, um, did I say musician or anything, or, you know, whatever it might be, because I've done something else. And so those things aren't open to me anymore. But I can still enjoy elements of them, as, as Dee's doing with flying at the moment, and hopefully do as a career. I can still take bits of them. I did say to Dee, actually, um, you know, have a think about the reserves. 
because you'll still get some of the Air Force life. You'll still be on the bases. You'll still be with all the guys. Um, you won't be flying. Fine. You won't be flying. But um, you can be, you know, you can be a reserve service uh, guy and devote some of your time to doing that. That'd be fantastic. Wrap yourself up in it. And if you were to sit down with a bunch of pilots, one thing is common amongst them all in the Air Force is they'll be whinging. I had to grab some tea there. They'll be whinging because pilots aren't happy unless they're whinging. And I know why. I was a naval officer and it's the same on ships. You know, if the ship stops manking, something something bad's about to happen. Um, everyone needs to be going about how bad the, the, the tour is, but how bad the deployment is. Um, it just keeps you together. It's that kind of dark humor as well. So let's see if we can dig some more out of this. So really, you know, he is flying. He is just wrapped up, unfortunately. I do think this might be might well be an age thing um, by the fact that he won't ever be a Royal Air Force pilot. I'm just going to bring up that essay again because there was a bit in the essay I looked at earlier when I when I read it through again. I thought, yeah, I better I better talk about that. Okay, so because um, I was like the squadron uncle, and that's so people used to come to me and say, oh, I'm not really into this anymore. I'm like, yeah, don't worry about it. It's all cool. That's why they're paying you the big money. I should leave. And that is the truth. It does become a job, guys. It comes a job very quickly. I mean, if you're a holding officer now and you're one of the 370, you know it's a job. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know they need to pay you because all you want to do is get an airplane and you're not. You're stuck there. Um, I think I do I do talk about 50 years ago. There was a guy called Richard, Richard Bowles who wrote um, a book uh, about what color is your parachute. And he was saying all you have to do in life is to, to have a fulfilling career is first figure out what you're passionate about and then go and find a job to match it. That's bollocks. It doesn't work doesn't work it's not about passion it's what you find purposeful now that was 50 years ago and obviously this author had not met me and obviously I've solved all the problems in the world when it comes to purpose so what I mean is uh we're talking about purpose not talking about passion anymore okay that book sold six million copies that guy was smoking a crack pipe tea so yeah and then there's a graph that I put in here and it shows uh what happens uh, uh, since 1994, all up to that 2008, with the term "follow your passion," and how many times Google scans books, how many times that term "follow your passion" has appeared in literature um, since I think about 1988 when it started off, and you can see uh, in the percentage terms really from 1994, it's quite a flat line. I'll drop this in the video, guys, and then it shoots all the way up um, to 2008. So really, people have been reading about it. That's why people are like, "I must find a job that I'm passionate about." It's like, nah, whatever. No, don't don't bother, mate. Find a job that you find purposeful. It's going to get you out of bed in the morning. If you find a job that you're passionate about, you're not going to last in it. You know what I mean? And then you can change careers often, and people are going to ask you why. You're going to be fleeting all over the place. I want to do a bit of this, a bit of that, a bit of this. I portfolio work for that reason. I'm not going to jump into a company because I'm passionate about this because eventually that's going to end. So it's a bit of existential crisis that people are going through at the moment, and I think and we see that of course in D. So, um, but I think that's the other thing as well. I think. D's actually lucked out or lucked in here because going through military fast jet training, you might be doing five or six or any kind of flying training in the Royal Air Force, five or six years and you're still in training and you meet someone like me and I fly with you and everything and all the, or you're flying on my squadron and the boss says, go and sort this guy out and I fly a couple of trips to you and I'm like, you know, those OC standards, I'm like, I can't let you go onto the frontline airplane and, and carry on doing this. This isn't right for you. I'm going to have to phone up another flying school and see whether I can get you onto Maltese or Rotary, which don't have to take you, by the way, or RPADs. They don't have to take you. So this could be the end of your career. And now, Dee's 25 years old looking for an airline job. You know, And that's not a bad thing. You can, of course. You can do that. But if he gets in an airlines now in, in, in his 20s, early 20s, you know, he's he's already putting in that um, that seniority. Thank me later, Dee. That's all right. So... But I must admit, I, I've also said to other people, you can fly in the Royal Air Force in the private flying clubs. And so it is a, 
it is not a bad career to go into, even if you're not flying. Uh, and I still I still push that. And I, I wouldn't say if it wasn't true. I did have a great time. I am frustrated with Arif Manning at the moment, but they're sorting it out. They're just slow. But that's it. The Air Force lags, isn't it, in the real world? Because it's, it's, just, cause it's the Air Force. It's very conservative. It kind of has to be, else it would change too quickly. So career paths. Yeah. Yeah. So here we go. Passion and purpose go hand in hand. When you discover your purpose, you will normally find something you normally find it something you're tremendously, tremendously passionate about. Yeah, I think that's right, actually, because I feel quite purposeful about helping people go through transitional changes. So from chaos to order, you know, whether it's through a divorce or a breakup or whether it's losing a job or even deciding to voluntarily lose your job. So you can go into entrepreneurship, which is very difficult. That's why I'm running the Spin Recovery Program, which I'm finalizing now. I'll put some stuff out of it because D would qualify if he was older for the Spin Recovery Program. Um, guys like him that are I mean, SPIN stands for self-esteem, uh, purpose stands for um, identity and negativity. And of course, you can see how that applies to D in this context. Most of the people I help out are mid-30s to 50, in fact. But um, yeah, and um, there's a woman called Terry Trespiccio who did a TEDx talk. And one of the things she said is passion is not a plan. Passion is a feeling. Feelings can change. So I don't want people to be passionate about going into the RAF or whatever because they're not going to last um, it's about being purposeful about saying, you know, I want to, I want to go into the Royal Air Force and be the best officer I can. Let's let's start there, shall we? Oh, and I'm going to fly an airplane as well. I've always said that the Navy are really good at this. The Air Force are less good, but the Navy always say you're a naval officer first and you're a pilot second. Um, the Royal Air Force don't. Well, I think they kind of push that, but it doesn't really come across in the same way. So let's let it, let us wrap this up then, shall we? Because we've done 25 minutes, so under 30 minutes. How lucky are you guys? Right, okay, let's just bounce to his email one more time and I'm going to send him a link of this and get this out. So he's got fear of missing out. Well, there's nothing you can do about that, mate, because you're not going to be a pilot in the Royal Air Force. You know, you say, I wouldn't be fearful about it. You know, what you're doing now, uh, you can you can do what you want, pretty much. Um, but unfortunately, flying in the Air Force for you is not going to happen. So he's, he doesn't understand his purpose. That's fine. I don't know why you would at age of 19. You don't know what the world's about. Um, I'm 45 and I still haven't got a purpose. I'm finding it. And you find purpose, by the way, by doing diff lots of different things, which is why I haven't jumped straight into working for BA Systems or Tireless or something like that. I've actually said, right, take a year out, do some contract work, um, work for Aerolists, uh, work for yourself, um, and you know, run some different clubs, get some responsibility. I would suggest that's a really great thing, responsibility. Load yourself up with responsibility. That gives you real kind of focus, guys. It gives you real purpose, which is why I'm running a, a rowing club now, which is a nightmare, but I'm running it anyway. We're sorting things out, which is great. But you're not going to find out your purpose at 19. Ah, oh, you're not. I don't think you are. I genuinely don't think you are. So don't worry too much about that. But do different things. Speak to people like you're speaking to me who've done the RF job. Speak to people who've done um, uh, other jobs you might be interested in. I never started off in the Royal Air Force. I, I was an engineer first uh, for about a year. And I pushed shopping trolleys around Asda. And that was a great job. That was a really great job. Because I, if you think about what you're doing when you're collecting shopping trolleys in Asda, um, you're collecting shopping trolleys, take them upstairs where people can use them. And then people bring them all back down again and they put them in a the car park and you go and collect them up. It's a very simple job. You get a lot of thinking time. You can listen to podcasts and there weren't podcasts in those days, but now you can. Um, and there's no responsibility in that job really. So you can have responsibility in other areas of your life. But that's one of the jobs I did when I started out. So I didn't jump straight into the Air Force. So to end this then, I don't think I've been too harsh. I think... Um, I think this is something that will pass. I think purpose will happen. I think 
I think DRE really needs to look at the airlines and some other type of flying. Of course, you haven't got to go into the, the, the airlines. You can do um, flying off, you know, smaller aircraft onto, you know, West Coast, Scotland, that kind of stuff. If that's more interesting to you, um, you get a helicopter license, fly helicopters if you want to, shudder. So there's all sorts of things you can do. But the airline one seems to be a pretty good route that people are taking at the moment. And that's not a bad thing uh, I would suggest looking at. So I would put that Royal Air Force pilot thing behind you because you don't have any choice. You have to. Um, and the sooner you move on from that, the more you can go out, as I said, and actually be successful in another area of aviation. You're crewing next to a lot of pilots on a lot of airliners who will feel exactly the same way. Um, my brother does this as well. He says whenever he tells people that he was a Royal Air Force pilot, and they're very interested in what he's saying, and uh, they talk to him about it, and they ask him about it, and they say, well, that sounds really interesting. What did you do? Where did you go? And all this kind of thing. And, uh, and he explains it to them. It's just a different career path. That's all it is. And of course, here's the thing. I've, I've got one of my pilots at the moment, a great guy, really, really like the guy. I uh, can't find a job. Genuinely can't find a job. He's a, a, an RF um, fight pilot and a flying instructor for a very long time. I think I'm saying 16 years. I don't know whether it is true. It might be a bit longer. Um, good friend of mine. And he struggles to find employment. I mean, you know, I kind of do as well in the mainstream employment, which is why I do portfolio working, because I'm, I'm not too sure I'm employable in that sense of the word necessarily. But this other guy can't find it. And why can't he find it? Because on his CV, he's got one line that says RF pilot. And then he fills it all out. Now, Manning would say, well, you could put different things in there. You could say how you ran the crash and how you ran the bar. And it's like, oh, give me a break, guys. Come on. What you can't show is your profit and loss sheets and how you turn companies around and how you built teams. And, and, in, in, and you, that team generated this much finance for the company. It doesn't work like that in the Royal Air Force. So it is a struggle. So, you know, you're not missing out here. If you're an airline guy, you're never going to be without a job. Um, depending on what that kind of job is and how great that job is, but you're not going to be without a job. So don't worry too much about that. Um, I would like to hear back from Dee, though, uh, about what you think about the advice I've given you, buddy. I'll write you an email. I'll send this link into you. But just, again, reiterating passion versus purpose. Don't mistake the two, all right? Don't go looking out for something where you've got to be excited about it every day. You've got to be motivated about something every day, but that's purpose. That's not passion. Hope that works for you guys. Um, what's happening in my life right now, not that you're interested at all, but they're down here on the floor. Used to be um, an HTV, HTC Vive Pro headset with, that's a hassle to set up. In fact, I'm charging the, the things at the moment in there. They're charging for about two hours. Um, I'm setting up on my main gaming system, my main gaming system. I don't really game at all, but when you left the service, I was doing a lot of um, uh, flight sim work. So that's, that's next door. Uh, and then that thing in the blue thing there is a very expensive gaming laptop really expensive uh, from HP in fact and you can see Omen uh, there's an Omen monitor there as well which is going to have this is all going down the DSCI okay it's all going down DSCI down in London where I am next week and DSCI stands for the <laughs> this is brilliant I'll type it in DSCI stands for the defense and security oh it's got to be on here somewhere uh, equipment I why ah oh, there we go international yeah not popular with anti-war people apparently but um Defence and Security Equipment International. So Aerolists are there. I'm on a stand. The stand is N1-216. If you're at the show, please come and see us. And we're going to have this VR thing uh, where you put this virtual reality thing on um, and we show you the hangar full of the airplanes that we're making. And we're making, as I said, um, two variants. There's three variants, really. There's the basic, the advanced, and the X. Uh, the basic is what will 
um, be like it's like a Texan T6, but obviously it's got a, a jet um, a jet engine in it. And then the Advance is like the Hawk in effect. And we are actually making the Advanced aircraft as the lead-in aircraft for Tempest. And Tempest is next door to us. So if you find Tempest, we're next door to Tempest because we're building them a flying training airplane, okay? And a modular approach. Um, it's awesome. And this is why, and also we're doing the syllabus, and this is why things like this, Jamie Gonigal's book, Super Better, A Revolutionary Approach to Getting Stronger, Happier, Brave, and More Resilient. It's about gamification. Because what I'm doing is I'm gamifying your syllabus, your flying training syllabus. Thank you, Jane. Um, so that, that means that you go in your flying training and you want to get through your flying training. You want to do well. You want your team to do well. There's awards. There's rewards. There's everything in it. And that's what we're trying to do with um, the Aerialist syllabus, uh, which is modular as well. So come and see us if you can, guys. That's what I'm doing. I'm about now to unpack that laptop. Uh, I've got to take it down to Tarlis at some point. We've got to sort out um, all the VR things so that I can present this at DSCI. If you are at DSCI and you can't get in there as a civilian, I think you've got to be connected with um, Defence. Yes, you do. Uh, but I am presenting at 2 p.m. on each one of those days, Tuesday through to Friday, about gamification, about the modular syllabus, about the aircraft itself. So come and see me. Come and have a chat, guys. Okay, I really appreciate your, um, your coming down. Passion versus purpose. Unfortunately, there are some things we can't do. There are some people we can't be, okay? But what we're not is people that get hung up on this stuff and let it ruin our lives, okay? We put it in a box. We put it on the shelf for sympathy later. We go out and we get after it in life, as David Goggins would say, all right? Guys, appreciate your time. Tim Davies, Fast Shit Performance.